Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is freight tech for Fortune 500 shippers with Brad Forrester and Mike Mulqueen. Welcome, Mike. Welcome, Brad. Thank you, Joe. So before we go any further, Brad, please introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks, Joe, for having us on. Brad Forrester with JBF Consulting. Happy to be here. And we love talking about transportation technology. So what do you do over at JBF? What's your job and where do you live? Well, my job as a managing partner is doing everything, right? So CEO and implementer and uh, team builder. Awesome. Um, I live just outside New Haven, Connecticut, but my roots are in the Midwest. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. I went to school at uh, Michigan State which was the right Michigan school to go to if you're, uh, you know, <laughs> growing up a Buckeye. But, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, Midwest route. Yeah, they, that's Big Ten country. Now you're out in no Big Ten. So, uh, Mike, yeah. Mike, how about you? Tell us where you live, where you work, what you do. Oh, hey, Joe. Um, yeah, so Mike Mulqueen, I live in Kennesaw, Georgia, outside of Atlanta. I grew up in the Baltimore area, and I'm a managing partner at JBF Consulting. My focus, Joe, is primarily on technology strategy for large shippers, for shippers that have significant freight spends. So we help them get through the process of going through the selection and determination of of what we call the desired end state. So before we go any further, Brad, tell us a little bit about career highlights before you founded JBF. Yeah. So I went to Michigan State and I just happened to get a a nighttime job at a company called RPS, Roadway Package System loading boxes onto trailers and unloading trailers with boxes, right? So I worked my way through school there and stumbled into supply chain and logistics program at Michigan State, which was a wonderful experience. Out of school, I took a job down in Dallas, Texas for a shipper as a transportation supervisor and spent some time there and got into a TMS implementation project in about 1997. And worked with a a crew, an implementation crew, and just, I really just loved the technology aspect of logistics, and I was hooked. So I left Lucent and took a job with the software company, which at the time was Manugistics, and that's where Mike and I actually started working together in the late 90s, about 1998. When did you guys found JBF? So JBF was founded in 2003. I had since left Manugistics. This was right around the the time of the bubble crashing in the early 2000s and started up JBF in 2003. Yeah. Mike, how about you? Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, where you go, and a little bit about your career highlights. Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah. So I grew up in Baltimore and my first job, unlike Brad at RPS, I started with UPS, actually a subsidiary of UPS called RoadNet Technologies. And this is late 80s, 1989 is when I started at RoadNet. And it was kind of the one of the initial routing and scheduling packages that were out there. It was primarily selling to kind of the wholesale distribution space. The Cisco Foods of the world, U.S. Foods of the world, of yep. guys, doing a secondary network fleet routing. So yes. I was there for a bit. And as Brad mentioned, I joined Manugistics in 1995. And 
since then, I've kind of bounced back and forth a little bit on the software side. So I've worked at Manhattan Associates, obviously Managistics and Birdnet Technologies. And then I've also worked in the consulting space the last five years with Brad at JBF. And prior to that, I was with Accenture. But all of that time has really been, Joe, really been focusing on transportation and logistics technologies, be it yard management systems, transportation management systems, vehicle routing systems. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You guys got into what I'll call freight tech early. <laughs> you were you were with some of the pioneers in this space. Yeah, you're spot on, Joe. It's been an interesting evolution, right? And it really has been an evolution. There hasn't been these monstrous, non-incremental changes. It's just been a continuous improvement, oftentimes tied to Moore's Law, if you think about it, right? The As computer power has progressed, so has the technology. And so has a lot of the things that our shippers care about. And, and, and we're able to do things today that we never dreamed about doing in 1989. I shouldn't say we didn't dream about. We did dream about them, but we just thought they were so far-fetched that it, was, it wasn't reasonable. But now things are at a point where there's a lot of tech out there. There's a lot of interesting innovations out there. It doesn't take a Fortune 500 company or a multi-million dollar investment to build out technology. There's a lot of interesting point solutions out there. And our job is really to go back through and figure out what's real, what's not real, and try to come up with the best blueprint for our clients. Yep. Well, so getting back to our topic. So today's topic, again, freight tech for Fortune 500 shippers. When we were talking about this offline, when I first met you guys a few weeks ago, I thought it was really interesting because you guys focus on helping the biggest shippers, the Fortune 500 shippers make freight tech decisions. And I thought, well, and it's funny because Mike, the first thing I, I think I threw out there, well, isn't that what all the big technology, are? isn't what all the all the tech consultants out there doing? And you said, no, <laughs> no, they said, and you had worked at Accenture, said, no, this is kind of a, a very niche and it's too niche for even the big consulting companies to get into. So speak yeah. to that for just a second, Mike. Yes. Yeah, so the issues with the big consulting companies, this space is too small for an extent. You know, they're looking to generate $100 million of revenue with a client and doing logistics technology strategy sessions. That's not where, where we live, right? We are much more focused. Our role really is to understand best practice. And I say best practices, but I I use that term loosely just because I don't really see that there's necessarily best practices to span across industries and even within industries. But understanding individual organizations, business problems, and then having a really deep understanding of the technology ecosystem. There are a lot of providers out there, Joe. And just, you know, 20 years ago, there weren't. When Brad and I were at at Manugistics in 1998, there were two TMSs. It was Manugistics and I2. And that was it. And that was the decision you needed to make, right? And it was really fundamentally based on your industry vertical. You know, CPG and retail would go one way. Manufacturing would go another way. 3PL would go another way, right? So back then, it, it was much simpler. Now, as I mentioned, just the cost of innovation has come down so dramatically just from the infrastructure that's available through providers like Amazon or Microsoft Azure. So we get the platform information. The ability to now do development across the globe at lower cost has made it so that there's just this huge proliferation of technology. So what Brad and I spend a heck of a lot of time doing is trying to understand and getting demonstrations from all of these different providers that are out there right now. Instead of two, there are 50. And each one of them is good at something, right? They're a business and they're a viable business because they are good at servicing some portion of their customers, but perhaps not all of their customers. Retail versus CPG versus automotive versus uh, medical devices, pharmaceuticals, life sciences. These are all different verticals with different requirements. And our job really is to help our client understand that technology landscape and then put together a blueprint solution that's going to provide them a competitive advantage, not just for today or not just for tomorrow, but five years down the road. Right. 
Right. So when we were prepping for this, Brad, we talked about why, you know, Fortune 500 companies have a lot of procurement people. They have a lot of expertise. They're not, <laughs> they're Fortune 500 companies for a reason. They have resources, they know, have uh, expertise, they have experience. Why do they struggle to buy their own freight tech? Why would they even need help from you guys? What's, uh, what, why don't they just do it themselves? Yeah, I think to kind of piggyback on Mike's comment, if you think back to when Mike and I started back in the early 90s, mid 90s, I started my first TMS implementation in 97. So Windows 95 had just come out. Uh, email was still getting rolled out to the enterprise. We even used, back in that day, we still used Lotus Note, right? Oh, I and love that. There, I love Lotus Note. I wish we had it still. Back then, there was no Wi-Fi. So as consultants, we had to plug into the fax machine, right? An analog phone line to download our Lotus Notes email, right? Just to give some historic context to, you know, how far we've come just in the past 20 years. And to Mike's point, back then, there were two vendors, right? It was it was essentially Manugistics and I2 were the big behemoths in TMS. And over the past 20 years, we've seen just a huge proliferation of technology and multiple vendors that specialize in very niche functional areas within the the logistics domain. There are probably a dozen yard management vendors. There are probably six or more visibility vendors. So with all that vendor proliferation and the change in technology, it is a much more complicated decision to make. And it's much more impactful for the shipper to make the right decision on this freight technology space. So they are struggling. They look and say, God, there's just a lot of names out there. I can't just Google top 10 um, TMS or, and then TMS might be too small at this point when you're talking about companies that submit. That's why we call this freight tech, because as we've talked about, you know, there's a lot of technologies and I think TMS tends to be focused on, you know, the 3PL user, not necessarily the big shippers. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Right. Yeah. It's, yep. It's definitely going through a a big change. And with all that complexity in the market, it really just demands that we have a better handle on the vendors and it's placing a, a greater priority for the shippers, the buyers of freight tech to really understand what they're getting. Otherwise, there's a big impact, right? There's a big cost to a failed implementation and picking the wrong solution for your business is a surefire way to have a failed implementation. So they don't specialize. They they don't buy it all the time. So this is a once in a, hopefully you don't have to keep switching technologies. So there's a big shipper of one of these Fortune 500 size companies that says, oh, well, we realize now maybe our tech is out of date. They use Amazon every day. They realize, God, this is not as elegant or easy to use yeah. as the Amazon I use. So maybe we got old tech, maybe our tech is redundant or obsolete, or maybe they just had a big blow up, you know, <laughs> where somebody thought I'm going to lose my job. So I better figure out this technology. So then they decide they can't do it themselves. Is that the thought process? Is this is too hard to make a decision to buy and implement? Yeah, Joe. So like a good analogy, there's no consumer reports for TMS. There's no place that I can go and really get a good understanding of a good comparison of TMS. Aside from, you know, certainly Gartner does some really good work here. But Gartner creates one magic quadrant, and that magic quadrant would be viewed by Walmart, the same it would be viewed by DuPont, the same it would be viewed by TJ Maxx, right? Their requirements are just inherently different. And one view into a monolithic TMS solution 
is not going to provide you the granularity that you're going to need to ensure that when you go to the CFO with a big business case, I'm going to save $10 million over the next five years that you're going to be successful. So what we do is we take, and by the way, we, you know, we're, big, we're big fans of Gartner. We're big fans of BART and the TMS squad over there that do some really good work, but we take their work to a much deeper level. We spend time really understanding that the, the organization's operations. We understand what is going to drive success in terms of the business case that's been developed. What are those key areas that we need to, to drive an ROI for this particular solution? Right. And how can we mitigate risk? Yep. So you're 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 tra- transitioning into w- this engagement. So I want to. W- so when you guys engage, talk about that because I think Brad, Mike, and maybe Mike, you can go first here. I think when we talked offline, you said there's a kind of this first thing is we don't talk about technology initially. We talk about first the needs assessment. What you know, what needs do you have? Because well, so to wrap this other piece up first, they need you guys because the investment's high. Failing, <laughs> failing is catastrophic. You can't do it, right? They have obsolete tech, redundant tech, broken tech, whatever it is. And they know there's something better out there. So they hire you guys. And the first step is needs assessment. Then there's implementation. Then we'll talk about stewardship. So there's three areas that you guys really work in. So Mike, speak to this needs assessment phase. So it's interesting, Joe. So the TMS space, it's really, you know, a lot of times things are driven by consumerization. Right. So there's all kinds of stories. You know, the VP of transportation is talking and saying that he buys a widget off of Amazon and he can track it (laughs) down to his front door delivery. And as soon as it's delivered, he's getting a POD email to him. Right. And they're shipping $200,000 of freight on a truckload carrier and they can't tell where the truck is. Where's my truck? Right. Right. It's, It's a common thing. Right. So so the consumerization, I think, is helping organizations discover that there is better tech out there. Oftentimes, it is kind of you know driven by the end consumer, but it then will go down to the TMS space as well. So that kind of is like a heads up. But you're right, Joe. We, we don't start with technology. Technology is just a tool. We start with understanding the business problems of the organization and something that we call helping organizations to find their desired end state. What do we need to have from a capability perspective that aligns with our supply chain strategy, that aligns with our corporate strategy? that aligns with macro trends that we're seeing across the globe, right? We are seeing big changes and the pandemic is essentially just accelerating the velocity of the changes that we're seeing. So we start with that. And then we, we understand the impact of each of the different sub-process areas that we'll delve into. So we'll take a look at outbound planning or fleet routing or dispatching or inbound planning or procure all these different areas. And we'll go back through and we'll understand how well are you doing these things today? What's your efficacy level for each of these different sub-process levels? If we improve it dramatically, because there's a lot of different things that we need to do, right? If we improve this piece dramatically, what's going to be the financial impact or the impact to our service? or our perception from our customers. What's going to be that impact? And you know, we always go back and say, is the juice worth the squeeze, right? Again, there's tons of work that we need to do. How do we prioritize that work? And that all goes, Joe, into what we call this desired end state, where we come up and we say, okay, these are the key areas that we need to address, and this is best practice. And again, I always caveat that term because I don't necessarily like it, but this is what we think that you guys should be doing that aligns now to what your CEO is saying when he's doing investor presentations. It aligns to your organic growth versus acquisition strategies. It aligns to your omni-channel strategies that you may have. So those are the things that we start off. We don't well, talk wait, about technology wait, at all. During- wait a sec. So you mentioned acquisition and growth. So how does that impact this? If you're an acquisitive company, right, I need the ability to understand how I'm going to be able to integrate that new business into my current line of business. So if you're highly acquisitive, we often then really focus on 
logistics modeling, the ability to understand, you know, what should my DC network look like if I acquire this organization? What should my transportation network look like? If you're acquisitive and you're buying companies in different geographies, that my processes and my technology span across the global landscape. Yeah. So if you're like a regular, you know, let's just say you're a traditional retailer and you say, well, yeah, we obviously need software to support our stores. But now they're saying, I also need processes to support e-commerce. And then we also plan some acquisitions. So this isn't just a tech decision or freight tech decision for the next six months or 18 months. This is looking out as far as you can, I imagine. It is. We say five years, Joe, but that's just kind of an arbitrary number that we pick, but you're right. And the nightmare scenario that, you know, I always struggle with, right, is we go, we make a recommendation, Brad's team comes in and we implement the solution. And two years later, the organization makes a change that we should have foresaw and we could not handle it from a logistics tech perspective. And that would be a complete failure in ours. Luckily that we haven't seen that happen yet because we do drill into it. And we, especially for public companies, Joe, we will go back through. We will look up investor presentations that are made that really talk about that strategy. And oftentimes, you know, the director of transportation that we might be working with may not be as privy that, you know, they're, they're working on the day-to-day stuff, right? Right. Um, but we, we really look, we look at the 10 Qs, we look at the 10 Ks, we look at investor presentations, we look at all those different pieces. And we also tie that together with things that they may not be explicitly saying, but just these macro trends that we're seeing in the market, right? So that's kind of the way that we address the desired end state piece. And again, it's prior to even talking about technology. It's talking about what are the key competency areas that we really need to focus on. And if we do these well, what's going to be the financial or service advantages that we provide to our customers? Right. So, Brad, do you have any your two cents on the identifying the needs? Well, I think the analogy that popped into my head, Joe, or the story was just to highlight the the acquisition component and its impact on this as a catalyst for a change or looking for new technology. In the past 10 years, Clorox is a great example of what an acquisition can do to become a catalyst for supply chain technology change. So Clorox, huge consumer products company on the inbound side, it's a lot of bulk products. On the outbound side, they're CPG shipping into you know, grocery retail and probably Amazon as well. And then they acquired Burt's Bees, right? And oh, Burt's I Bees didn't know was, that. <laughs> yeah, historically, you know, very much a small package. They have a direct-to-consumer channel. So then all of a sudden, Clorox inherits this company and also inherits a whole new distribution network of direct-to-consumer. And, you know, their systems as a byproduct of that need to change, right? So I think that the acquisitions can't be underemphasized in terms of their relevance and importance to the selection and the implementation of freight tech, especially if you're a shipper and you have a history in, in your company of acquisition modeling and the what-if scenarios that Mike mentioned are instrumental. Not to mention, you know, you need to have some agility built into your system so that you can drop in and layer in these capabilities without right. having to rip everything out and start all over again. Right. It's interesting. I, I got it. I'm kind of stunned. I always just envisioned Bert and his friends and family at some cottage in the woods making <laughs> chapstick. <laughs> Time to make the chapstick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's kind of artisanal chapstick, but apparently that's not how it's all working out. So, all right. So we talked a little bit about the you know, why they need you. And that's because things are changing quickly. It's hard to buy this stuff if you're not on top of every day. So 
Fortune 500 companies come to you guys for help with freight tech. First step is identifying the needs. This is a question because a lot of people who listen to my podcast are in third-party logistics. And I suspect some are saying, buy our freight tech. We'll be your 3PL and you will just install. Is that now the direction a lot of Fortune 500 companies go? I think a lot of them do go that way, Joe. And again, we there is some really good 3PL tech. And a lot of the 3PLs, by the way, are using the same types of solutions that we are evaluating, right? So a lot of right. the, the 3PLs will use the Oracle Transportation Management System or the Blue Yonder TMS system or the Mercury Gate system. So a lot of those guys. and But then you also have some really good managed service providers like the TMC group under CH Robinson. You have Transplace, you have Blue Jay that has managed services as well, which is just really, really good technology too that they built. So don't, it's forget, kind of, don't forget my buddies over at Turbo. And Turbo, <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So, so wonderful technology. And, you know, the, the thing that I've, you know, the, the managed service guys that we've been, re- I've been really, really impressed because, you know, I, we did some pretty deep evaluation of a lot of the the major 3PLs out there. And one of the things that they've been able to do is it's not just about that backbone turbo OTM TMS solution. It's also about pulling together best-in-class capabilities that maybe the backbone TMS guy isn't really very good at. The OTMs and the blue yonders of the world are not great at parcel. So how do we become a better parcel shipper within my TMS solution? Well, you do that through partnerships and you do that through predefined and productized integrations with key providers like a logistics, the software company, or a Skipjack or an Ortec. And so what we've seen with the managed service providers is they've been very, very good at orchestrating the consolidation and the integration of key technologies that really then support a wide array of business problems as opposed to a shipper oftentimes getting a TMS solution and then thinking that that's going to be the silver bullet to the entirety of the problem. Right. Yeah, it's a big decision. And so that's why, again, why they need you guys or someone like you guys in that you've got your finger on the pulse of the industry. And it is interesting because, you know, if you go back just 10, 15 years ago and say, you go to a, a top transportation or logistics company and say, yeah, talk about your tech implementation. It would be very weak. That was just not what they did. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, you know, we're almost got this merger of tech and logistics and transportation happening right now and with varying levels of success because not everybody's going to I always say, if you're spending, you know, tons of money buying new trucks, you can't spend tons of money with new tech, right? You're buying warehouses. It's hard to also say, we're also spending a fortune on tech. It's, this is the challenge that everybody starts to run into is where do we focus? Yeah. So we talked about the needs assessment. Now let's talk about the implementation. Well, first off, maybe Brad, this is where you can start. Talk about how you and Mike pick with your customers, how you select the tech, freight tech that you're going to implement. So, Joe, that typically still falls within my oh, that's, domain. That's, so, that's still Mr. Strategy. And, uh, yeah, so needs assessment. The, yeah, so it, it's kind of a regular process that it's, it's relatively logical. We, we start with desired end state. What do we want to be when we grow up? And then from that, based on Brad and my understanding and the rest of the JBF's team understanding of the TMS space, we say, okay, these are the providers that we should be looking at. So we don't necessarily say you need to go with Turbo or you need to go with OTM. We say these are the two or three people that we should be looking at. And then we work we work with the client and we do put together RFPs, but our RFPs are a little different. Our RFPs are not binding. We, we see a lot of binary RFPs where um, there's a question and the answer is yes or no. Can you do this? And everybody says yes to every question. And then in the notes field, they describe why they really can't do it, but they put yes anyway, right? Because they didn't want people to filter on the, on the nose, right? So we found that to be a horrendous way because back in our software days, we had to answer a lot of RFPs and we knew exactly what the game was. So our RFPs are typically way less questions, but more in depth. We ask for paragraph answers. 
describe how you support the ability to do optimization in a pool distribution right. network. And it's not a yes or no. It is describe, demonstrate, show us how. So we start with that piece. And then typically then, Joe, we then will we'll winnow it down to kind of a primary and a secondary. These are the two people that we want to get into a little bit deeper with. And we will then do very scripted demonstrations. We will put together, here it is. Here's our data. Here's the script. We want to see it now. And you're going to then walk through and, and we're going to score you on each one of these different script areas. And by the way, we've weighted each of the different script areas. Oftentimes we weight the score as well. The VP oftentimes get a higher weight than the route planner. And at that point, everything is, you know, it's, I call it kind of subjectively objective because, you know, a ranking of a three to a two, it, it's somewhat subjective. But right. at this point in time, we've seen the application. We can kind of put ourselves in the planner's shoes and say, yeah, that's going to work for us. Or gosh, that's never going to work because it's way too cumbersome or it doesn't support our business. So ultimately we do that. And then Joe, the last piece that we do is we do help our customers with financial negotiations with these providers. So there is a lot of variation in terms of cost and doing this for as long as we have we help our clients get the best deal possible with the various providers. So I'm assuming that when there's a decision made, you guys are part of, it, of the team and obviously your customer is the Fortune 500 company, the shipper. They're obviously making the decision with you guys. And I'm assuming there's a, a cross-functional team involved. Exactly. So there'll be typically a core team that will be part of the selection process. And JBF is always part of that core team. We typically lead the engagements, right? So we're the ones that are interacting with the suppliers. We're coaching the supplier. We want the suppliers to be successful. We yep. want the tech providers to be successful and show us exactly what we need. We, you know, I tell my shipper clients, let's give the vendors our scorecards yeah, prior to being filled out, right? But right. Let, let's show them how they're going to be evaluated. Yeah, so ultimately then once we've gone through the scripted demonstration, once we've done the financials, at that point in time, a recommendation is made to the core team, to the leadership that says, yeah. this is who we need to go with. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I went through a, helping a large shipper pick a 3PL not so long ago, and we spent a lot, a lot of time on it. And I'm really glad we did because you get to know the people really well through that process. And you mentioned, you know, the yes or no questions and all that. The thing that I think that you, I was always looking for is this relationship and then the culture is, it, is the culture mesh, right? Just because you answered all the questions, you know, and favorably doesn't necessarily mean you have the right culture for the company that you're going to be working with. Super important. These are long-term things. Once you go about, and, and Brad will talk about the implementation process, but once you go about and do an implementation, and oftentimes, Joe, these are phased implementations. I'm going to do inbound first, outbound, then I'm going to do international, then I'm going to do my European implementation. This is a long-term, this is a, right. a marriage, right? This is four, five, <laughs> six, 10 years. Right. And you guys, that's actually funny, Mike, when we were talking offline, uh, prepping for this, I remember I said, uh, this is a marriage. And I said, and you, you guys are the matchmaker and you're, you want to make sure that if religion is important to both sides, that they're of the same religion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that there's, yep. there's that proper alignment. Excellent. Excellent. So once you've made this decision, and not just you, not just Mike and Brad, but once the shipper, the whole team has flipped that coin and said, oh, it's heads, we're going to go with that. <laughs> then you, the implementation begins after the negotiation. And then Brad and his team take over on the tech side, right? That's right. That's where my implementation team picks Mike up. Mike just throws it over the wall? Yeah. <laughs> well, Part of the strategy that we have and why the blueprinting process that Mike runs is so important is because the quality output that we get from running a blueprinting session with a client makes the implementation and, 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 dramatically and easier. Just describe that blueprinting process. Not that, So what do you mean by that? Is that just the process that 
that Mike yeah, described? Yeah, that's the process that Mike described, where we learn about the company from the top down. We learn about the company's requirements from the bottom up, and we come up with what we call a desired end state. And then we so do the vendor the selection. So that's you guys the have the blueprint process. Yeah. So we have the blueprints. And essentially, what we're trying to do is we want to have a high-level conceptual design before we pick the vendor and before we start the implementation. And there's a simple analogy that I can give you that will kind of help explain why. So if you're, let's say you bought a piece of land somewhere and you want to build a house and you're going to go to an architect to have a, a custom home built and then select a builder, et cetera, right? Build your mm-hmm. home. Yep. So working with this architect is important for the architect to understand, okay, does Joe and his family, is this home going to look more like a six-car garage industrial shed with like corrugated steel siding, or is it more like a five-room colonial or something else, right? And that selection and that strategy and the design that the architect lays out with you will really make an impact as you go into the actual construction of the house, right? So if you have through working with your architect, come up with a six-car garage that's industrial building, and you've picked a home builder that specializes in high-end custom homes, that high-end home builder is going to have a little bit more difficult time figuring out how to build a six-car industrial garage, right? right? So it's the design needs to meet the requirements and the vendor selection is really important in terms of the actual construction. And it's the same way with logistics technology, right? So we look at the implementation as it's a cost, right? We try to minimize risk in the implementation wherever we possibly can. Yep. We try to make it as efficient as possible. There's no you know, secret sauce or anything like that in implementation. It's just a lot of organization and technical dork work. It is often the most expensive though, piece oh, yeah. of this, <laughs> you know, piece of this process. But really the most important variable is having the right technology selected to begin with. Because I'll use an example that we're going through right now with one of our clients where they've picked a large TMS and they're a heavy small package parcel shipper. And the TMS that they've selected is not really a great fit. It doesn't do parcel well at all. And this company is a 98% parcel volume shipper, right? 98% of their spend is parcel. So it makes the implementation three times as complex three times as difficult, three times as costly, and, you know, X number of times uh, more complicated to like manage and administer after the job is done, right? So it is really, really important to pick the right vendor and go through that strategy and almost a design process before you pick the right vendor because it makes the implementation so much easier. Yeah, and to kind of stay with the home building analogy in that needs assessment phase. And when you select, that's kind of almost the foundation, right? And then you're building on top of that foundation and during the implementation phase. It is. And that's exactly why we call it blueprinting, right? Because it is the same logical process. Let's start the construction. Let's not do the vendor selection until we have the blueprints in place. So talk a little bit more about this implementation. First off, let me throw this out there. I've kind of you know been on enough projects here where one of the struggles that always seems to me is like when somebody says, oh, well, yeah, we need a tech guy who knows how to use this, these systems, familiar enough with you know transportation logistics, also knows the software and also can code. It always seems like that guy is, first off, wildly expensive. But secondly, it seems like, oh, well, he'll be ready in six weeks. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There aren't many people who can do all of those things, right? So in many cases, it takes a, a village. And, you know, back to one of Mike's earlier comments about a reason why the big five consulting companies don't typically play in this space is because these freight tech projects from an implementation standpoint, while they may take some time and they may be relatively expensive from a shipper investment standpoint, they're really small potatoes when you compare it to like, uh, you know, an ERP rollout right. or a whole okay. supply chain transfer. All relative, huh? <laughs> it's, it's very relative. But to your point, within the implementation, there are a number of key roles that we really look for. And some of these become red flags for us as, as we get into implementation. And a lot of it is just getting the right client side, subject matter expertise and participation, right? The client's participation really makes a huge difference. In What are, what are the red flags? So the red flags are if the project sponsor, which is typically like a VP of transportation, VP yep. of logistics, is not engaged, oh, that's a red yeah. flag, <laughs> right? Engaged at the appropriate level, right? Is he or she giving us the direction? Is he or she helping us to prioritize issues? You know, we need somebody internally within that shipper organization to say, here's why we're doing this, guys. This is something that is a priority for us. We're going to spend a lot of money to do it. But here's the payback. Here's the value proposition. So we all need to kind of circle up and figure out a plan to deliver this and make it a reality. Right. Boy, guys, I participated in this big shipper selecting a 3PL. And one of the real lessons learned was the impact that a really good vice president of logistics can have. Because the guy who I was involved with, who I'm still a friend, he was every step of the way saying, guys, we're not world class right now but we're going to be, all of us. You're going to take us there. We're a partnership and we're going to get there. And he always had us, you know, focused. When I say us, I mean his company, the 3PLs involved and outside consultants like me, he had us aligned perfectly and we all knew we are going to be world-class. And I, I'm not on that project anymore, but I suspect they are getting there because that was communicated from the front. And I also started to realize that becoming a shipper of choice is getting a little off topic. Becoming a shipper of choice begins at the top because that guy insisted that things be done right. We're going to treat our partners right. We are going to be a good partner. We're going to take feedback and we're going to all get better. Loved it. It was just, I mean, it, it shows what leadership can do. So if you get the right leader, oh, it's perfect. We also see a big delta between those leaders, uh, VP of logistics is kind of our target here. Those leaders that have a or have grown up in the culture of what I call traffic management, right? If they're, you know, what is the critical load of the day? What's right in front of my face? What's the next fire drill that I need to move to? We can spot those companies a mile away, right? As soon as we get in there, we see the pit, right? Where all the load planners are chasing freight and doing this stuff. We call it the pit. And That tells us that culturally, this company has leadership that is managing by exception. They are dealing with issues and fighting fires versus the corollary to that are the shippers where there's a systems and process mindset at the leadership level is a totally different culture. And the output from an implementation standpoint is completely different in terms of like 
the complexity, the challenges that we're trying right. to solve. It is amazingly different versus the kind of the old traffic manager right. mindset. Well, I imagine you guys find that in the needs assessment in Mike's area. If they don't want to talk to you about what's happening in five years, it's kind of, an, <laughs> and they don't talk about that desired state is in five years, you know, uh, we might be in a little bit of trouble here, right? Yeah, okay. exactly. We're, yeah, we're big proponents, Joe, of having like a project charter. And that's one of the things that we'd like to see in, in a leader, right? These are the key pillars that we are going to be addressing. And they're not transactional. They're not these tactical type things. They're higher level things. We are going to be best <laughs> in class in terms of service. Right. We're going to be, and it's a consistent message. It can't change from week oh, yeah. to week or month to month, right? And that's the value of the leader. And they can help. Oftentimes you get in the weeds and yeah, you, that- just, you get so focused on a particular problem that you lose what's really important for this program. Yeah, the vice president I was just referring to, he said when he came on the project, he said, Joe, what's your charter? I said, my charter has been to save money for your company. And he said, we have awful logistics. Awful. He goes, I'm a customer. I'm in charge of another department that uses this. And he said, we are going to win business from how good our logistics is. And he says, right now we lose business because of how bad our logistics is. And I was thinking, wow, just to, just to your point, not, not saying I want to save 10% on my freight spend this year. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's saying we're going to be world-class and we're going to win business because how good we're at logistics. Anyway, so final thoughts on the implementation, Brad, and then I want to talk about stewardship. Yeah, so final thoughts on implementation. I mean, there's a lot to it, right? It essentially boils down to just getting the job done in the lowest amount of risk possible, right? Because there is a lot of risk in this process of selecting a tool, of taking many months to implement it, and then getting it done correctly. What we like to teach our clients is that the implementation is not what you should focus on. It is the day that you go live is the (laughs) day that I is the day that I hand over my car keys to my 16-year-old son for the first time. Okay, don't screw it up, kid. Right? The problems this, begin. This is, <laughs> this is the same handoff, right? So the moment we go live is the moment of truth. Will the client, will the shipper be able to adopt this new technology? And then will they be able to keep it going? Will they be able to maintain it? Right? If I'm handing over car keys to a 16-year-old kid, I'm going to teach him how to check the air in the tires, check the oil, do all of that stuff just to give them. Teach him to take his foot off the gas. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, exactly. So, so this is the stewardship you're getting into. And so that's stewardship is day one of the, so the implementation is over. As you guys use this analogy, the space shuttle has launched. Now it's dangerous. That's right. There's just as much work and effort that goes in after the space shuttle has launched versus what went into it to do all the planning up until that point, right? And that's really what we try to impress upon shippers, especially within the transportation group, right? Because culturally, some companies, all of this stuff, this implementation and these decisions are kind of thrown over the wall to IT to handle. But really, right. these are logistics tools. So they should be, they should have a competency within the transportation organization to support these tools from a functional standpoint, which is really important down the road especially if you're an acquisitive company. So we try to teach them that, okay, just think of yourselves now as a software company because you have a product, right? This is the the piece of TMS tech that we just stood up and implemented. And it's going to go through its own life cycle, right? As your business changes and all businesses change, regardless of whether they know it or not, and the system needs to keep up. 
The system needs to be adapted to meet new business challenges. You might shut down a DC, reopen a new one. You might acquire a new company with a totally different network. Your business might be down 40% because of quarantine and COVID, and now you're doing all these direct-to-consumer shipments. All of those are business changes that need to impact the system in terms of the way it's configured or designed or integrated with other systems. And people in the business uh, within transportation, the, the functional organization, need to understand how to do that stuff. Otherwise, they're just going to keep calling the uh, consultants to help them out of these jams. But we really try to teach them how to think about this as this is your software now. You need to manage the enhancements. You need to manage the defects. You should have a product management mindset and mentality here so that you're continuously improving the quality and the solution results of your system so that it doesn't become shelfware. Do you guys stay on board for a certain amount of time after? I mean, when you've had an implementation and now you've you know gone through this first few months where getting all the bugs out, are you guys still on board a year later just doing enhancements or is, the, is that a handoff that you guys usually make? So typically when we go live, there's what we call a, a hypercare period of about four <laughs> weeks is normal. And hypercare is really just responding to issues that come up and jumping on them immediately, right? Some of them out of the gate might be more significant than others, and we have to do some break fix. It's a kind of a normal part of a post-go-live implementation. Imagine it's never uh, casual. <laughs> Right. It's all hands on deck. It's very much uh, an adrenaline-filled two-week period of time. We just spent a half a million dollars or a million dollars or whatever it is and blank. (laughs) Right. Fix it. And then, you know, to Mike's earlier point, very often we stage these implementations as well in multiple phases so that, you know, a, a shipper, a client of ours doesn't have to go through a huge monumental big bang change all at the same time. Right. Right. So, yeah. So there's often follow up work and often enhancements that need to happen. But by and large, it's become a lot simpler, I think, in the past five years, especially because the technology vendors, the TMS companies themselves have moved to the cloud. Right. So it's less on premise. It's less upgrades. And, you know, every five years, we've got to lift up the hood and, you know, basically strip out a bunch of stuff and put things back together. And, okay, now you're upgraded. The cloud technology makes things a little bit simpler, which is great. Things got easier, I guess, but it also the bar keeps rising. So let's summarize this topic. So, Mike, why don't you go first? Give us a final thought on this, and then we'll get Brad's two cents on the kind of summarizing this. Yeah, Joe, again, thanks so much for the time today. So the process of procuring, implementing, and managing transportation technology is complicated. So many clients that we go to, Joe, um, they've had technology. This technology isn't, isn't brand new, right? This technology has been around for a very long time. The vast majority of clients that we go to, they, you know, I describe it as, they'll describe their current TMS infrastructure as kind of a, a two-star Yelp meal, right? It's okay. Right. <laughs> it's helping us with the business, but essentially it's not doing what we really, when we had our grand vision and we decided that we were going to go with supplier X for our TMS technology, we never realized all of the potential benefits. So it is a complicated space. There is a proliferation of a lot of providers out there. And in fact, for the most part, we just don't do a single TMS selection anymore. We do a TMS selection and we also define all of the infrastructure bolt-on components that we're going to need. So it is big. It is important. 
There is no doubt in the world the Amazon effect is real in terms of TMS, in terms of customer expectations of what people expect from a visibility perspective, and it's differentiating technology now. The rule of thumb that we use, Joe, again, it it will vary based on industry, based on whether I'm moving bulk or B2C or whatever, but typically transportation is somewhere in somewhere around between three and 6% of total net sales of a company. So if you have a $10 billion company, they're spending three, four, $500 million on transportation a year. This is important. Right. And not just from a cost, but from a service perspective as well, right? From an inventory perspective, right? Right. There's certainly, there's big implications all around. And really attacking this in a thoughtful and comprehensive manner is kind of what what we've been doing at JBM for the last few years. Yep. So, Brad, final thoughts on this topic, and then we'll talk a little bit of what's going on over at JBF. Yeah, final thoughts are the best way to do a good TMS implementation is to make sure that you've got the right tool. So I can't emphasize enough that the <laughs> the best insurance policy to a successful go live is doing your due diligence and your homework up front. Get a blueprint. Right. Have a design, conceptual design, then pick the right vendor. Don't just start the process by selecting a vendor. You know, it's interesting. Needs assessment, that needs identification phase. No matter what business you're in, it's so important. I've spent a lot of my career in engineering, and then I got my master's degree in education. And I remember a professor saying, you know, when you're doing consulting or if you're doing training, don't ever work with someone who won't spend on the needs assessment. And I remember at the time going, oh, I'll take the money wherever I can get it. And after a while, you're like, nope, I can't do it. (laughs) I can't do it. You work with somebody who wants to skimp and say, you know, we'll just do two workshops on it and we'll know everything here. We take the notes off the whiteboard and hand them to you and go, this is what we need. We don't need to spend $100,000 on needs assessment. Well, guess what? You're going to pay for that later on in problems. Totally. About 15 years ago, I worked with a, a large shipper and I came in right at the beginning of the implementation. We had no exposure to their vendor selection process or anything right. like that. We were just kind of pulled in to implement the tool. And in the first week of working with the client, I said, okay, so here's my assessment. The tool that you picked is about a 20% fit for the requirements oh, that I just yeah. heard. <laughs> Do you know that? Yeah, but it's the tool that we picked. I'm like, okay, so here's your new implementation estimate because it's going to be a lot more complicated to do these things because a TMS is not really designed to do what you're looking for. So it's painful, but the best way to a successful implementation is picking the right tool for the job. No question. (laughs) Good, Good to know. And you guys do spend some time on that. So today we went over this topic, which is freight tech for Fortune 500 shippers. And we went through this process, which starts with a needs assessment, needs identification phase, and then you go through the implementation. And then just as important as the those two first two phases, this is the stewardship. It's making sure it actually works and you're just supporting the people on the ground who are using it. Love this. So Mike, Brad, why don't you both tell us a little bit what's going on over at JBF and how people can reach out to you if they're interested in talking. Yeah, I'll start that up, Joe. There's a lot going on at JBF. We're having a great year. We've had a lot of growth. We're probably going to double in size from 2019. We have made it through the rough patch, knock on wood, with regards to the COVID downturn. Everybody saw the same stuff and we have been doing well. We're in a very exciting time culturally here within JBF. We are a small company. You know, we're a boutique consulting company that specializes in logistics technology, but we're a family. And we like to tell people that culturally, 
Every year is going to be different. We are a startup company every year. We're always going to be dealing with new client issues and challenges. And it's just part of our culture is number one, loving logistics. Number two, understanding technology and being able to teach people and explain to people about complicated topics like technology and logistics and optimization to an actual user, an end user within logistics. And it's a very exciting time because there is so much change in the market with logistics technology. It's well, really fun to keep on top of. Year, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, definitely. There are maybe a kick so, in the shins, depending how you think about it. If anything, it was a nice accelerant, right? To throw some fuel on the fire. But yeah, there's a lot of change, but it's a lot of fun at the same time. Yep. Mikey? So Mike, your two cents on what's new over at JBF? Yeah, so I mean, it is an exciting time, right? There's a lot going on both in in the technology landscape and and what our customers are asking for from us. Our goal really, Joe, is to be, you know, it's kind of a cliche in consulting term, but that trusted advisor for our shipper clients. We've got a great niche. (laughs) We never, we do not, every one of these providers, not everyone, but the vast majority have offered us referral fees and financial compensation if they get selected. We never accept any of that, right? We are on the side of our clients. We are in their corner completely. After the fact, after we do an implementation or after we do a a strategy engagement with them, we continually work with those clients just just because we like, we love this space. We love to talk about it. So, uh, you know, it's like Brad said, this is a fun time for JBF. We are growing like crazy right now. We're doing some really good stuff. We're innovating. And I think we're making the difference for our clients. Excellent. Well, thank you guys both for being on the podcast. What I'll do is I'll put a link to JBF Consulting in the show notes and I'll also put a link to both of your uh, LinkedIn profiles. Wonderful. Thank you, Joe. Thanks Thanks again, Joe. Thank you both so much. This is really quite the education. And again, I don't think most people who listen to this podcast, I know myself, really ever get a chance to work with, well, some work with them, but there's only five, <laughs> the Fortune 500 only has 500 companies. They don't all ship a lot. So this is <laughs> this is a, a very niche space, but uh, you guys nail it. So I, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks again for having us on. This was great. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 